Hey, coffees, me listeners, welcome back to another episode. I know it wasn't uh, the episode for a while, so I'm so happy that uh, Eric accepted this invitation. Hey, Eric, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? You own an incredible brand called Good Boy Bob, and you guys do very, very crazy specialty high coffees. That's one of the things that we do, yes. <laughs> we do other things, but yes, we... Um... When we opened in 20, I think it was end of 2016, but really 2017, that was a decision that I made was to offer very interesting rare coffees. We're going to get to that and we're going to talk about that because I'm fascinated by these uh, high, high specialty world. So that's why I'm so happy to talk to you. But before that, you know, I usually have this warm up question from my guests about the first sip of coffee. Do you remember your first sip of coffee and how was it? I do remember it. I remember it very well. It I had in my early years, and when I say early years up through high school, I had never um, tasted coffee before. When I was in college, I went to an art school, and uh, in college, I ended up staying up many nights in a row sometimes to finish projects that I was working on. I was a, a film student and design. I studied it in Los Angeles at an art center, College of Design, and I decided to try coffee to help me stay up all night. Oh, wow. So it was just a caffeine delivery system. That's all it was. And I have to tell you, to be very honest, I did not like it. It was <laughs> extremely bitter and bad. I knew nothing about coffee, so I was probably purchasing the worst possible coffee. I, um, my budget in college for food was not that large and I probably brewed it uh, incorrectly <laughs> and, uh, um, it, uh, the taste was horrible. That's what I remember about it. And, and then I remember talking to a roommate and my roommate said, Oh, well, here's how you make it better. You take two big heaping spoons of sugar and you dump it into it and and put some milk in it. Um, but that's what I remember of it. And I drank coffee through college on the nights that I had to step. And then honestly, I didn't drink coffee for many, many years after that. Wow. I, I read that about you. Uh, and I was like, well, why coffee company? But we get to that in a sec. I also want to know that, you know, you are actually pretty known in a uh, in a film industry. So, uh, why coffee? I mean, is film industry outgrew you or why did you venture into coffee? Oh, interesting. Um, I am a director and I own a production company. We primarily do, um, branded commercials and documentaries, um, uh, some independent films. Um, why? Uh, did I open a coffee company? I, okay, let me take it back. I opened, I had a desire to open a coffee shop. And to be very honest, it was not about the coffee. I wanted to open a place where friends of mine, people I worked with, um, friends of mine on my little city block in Santa Monica could gather and hang out. That um, this was bef uh, in 20. 16 or 17 and it was 
a reason to get everyone out of their office space, their editing room, their music studio, if they're writing screenplays and other businesses, and to gather people on our block and hang out. And I thought that um, coffee was a great excuse to get them out. So were you drinking coffee again or... I mean, you, you could start something like a tea room or you can start something like a pub. Uh, maybe I'm European and you guys don't drink during the day, but uh, you, you, know, you know my point, right? You get my point. So why, why, yes. why coffee? Why coffee? Um, <clears throat> even though at that time I still did not drink coffee, and not since college, what I experienced is when people came into uh, the production company, and especially when we had a lot of clients and actors and callbacks coming in. Um, and if we had a pre-production meeting or anything like that, probably two thirds of that group of say 20 or 25 people would ask for coffee. That is the reason why. And I thought, oh, okay. A lot of people seem to drink coffee. It seemed like I was surrounded with uh, more people that would prefer coffee during the day. Um, than tea, although now having coffee shops, I know there's a large amount of people that have tea. We do sell quite a bit more coffee than tea, but uh, I think I just looked at it and said, oh, this is a great um, way to gather people, and it was something that they already liked. It was in their diet. So, uh, first of all, I think you are the first guest I ever had who whose answer was about somebody else. Like, I wanted to do coffee because I wanted to please my friends, my colleagues, my, you know, uh, mm-hmm. surrounding uh, people, rather than, like, I had a vision of something coffee. And I, I, I'm included into those who, like, I have vision for some coffee I want to introduce, and you are, no, no, I just want to make my friends happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, it, and um, so our uh, office in L.A. is in Santa Monica, and it's in this very kind of a cool, creative community, uh, like in a lot of cities uh, in New York, Chicago, the creative community is in an old warehousing district of Santa Monica. So we're in a, an old um, brick and bow truss ceiling warehouse that I was told a uh, hundred years or so ago, it was these few blocks were for the um, fish industry and that it would be cold storage when the fishermen brought in their fish. Well, now now, um, that type of architecture and that type of community is very desirable for what I would call creative office space. But the way the city was planned is they didn't uh, account for, because the city has grown up around it, they didn't account for... um, providing a nice place to get coffee within walking distance of some of these places. So uh, the other reason I did it was because anyone that really wanted coffee had to get in their car to go drive coffee. And quite frankly, at the time, the nearest three or four coffee shops were um, not, they were big chains. Um, And I wanted to do something that was more artists and I'm I'm an artist the my most of my friends are artists they're either screenwriters or actors producers photographers and I wanted to create a space not only to bring them in and and uh, have them exchange ideas with each other and say hello to each other 
but I also wanted to create a place that that was like a little home and it was artful and it wasn't a typical big chain uh, type of a, an experience. Okay. Uh, awesome. And, and, and now I get it, but here's the thing. Um, for that, you don't need those crazy, amazing coffee. So let's talk about that. Okay. Uh, you guys are good boy, Bob, and you already have a reputation of serving or offering lots, which are very unique, very expensive, but super yummy. I had a chance to try uh, one of your lots in, in, in when I was in LA, so I was really impressed. So why did you decide to go this very unusual way? Because I have to say, anytime I pitch this to any of my students here, they go like, no, that's, nobody will buy that coffee. And you mm. proved us wrong. And that's a good point. Um, <clears throat> when I first started to do this in 2017, a lot of the coffees we offered, there were, you could not find them anywhere in the United States. Um, we had many people come in that uh, were like yourself, amazed, and they would travel a long ways. I remember there was a business person from Europe that had a layover in LA that I think we were serving a, a, a cup of excellence, number one at the time. Um, and he got in an Uber from LA and his layover came to our shop in Santa Monica did a pour over. Um, but back to your question, why did I do that? I think it goes back to the core of why I opened that coffee shop. Um, I wanted to make something special and something that artists would appreciate. Uh, and these are most of my friends, like I said, and um, I took a, a big risk on that. And to be honest with you, even now, six years later, that we have three coffee shops and we serve quite a bit of it, it doesn't really pencil the high-end coffees. Um, but it's just who I am. I. I would like to be able to offer that experience to somebody like yourself that can appreciate it, or it could be a musician that just likes coffee, but just wants to try it. Um, so I, I, I guess when we first opened, I made a bunch of decisions that are not typical and that I probably would not advise to a just someone that wanted to open a, a successful, a monetarily successful, successful coffee shop. And that would fall into <laughs> that category. Um, what I did is once, um, and, and I always say about myself, I'm not, I went to college and was trained as an artist and a filmmaker and a graphic designer. And I, I've owned my own production company and post-production uh, and, and other businesses for years and years and years. And what I've always done in any business that I've owned is I take my creative mind, and that's kind of my secret sauce to the success of my businesses. But what I do is I prepare myself very well. I, what I did is I really researched um, coffee and coffee shops. And at this point, I'll remind you, I'd never um, tasted coffee uh, other than in college. 
Um, but I really, I read books about it. I, I really did a lot of thinking about the branding of coffee shops. And, um, and I made, a, like I said, there were probably 10 decisions I made that, and I ended up hiring <clears throat> a consultant in Los Angeles that um, had helped other first time owners like me open their coffee shops. And um, I really, uh, and I w went into a lot of coffee shops, but I went in looking around and what I was most interested in was not the coffee, but the experience all the way from the music to how I was greeted, the decor, the branding and all these things I was more interested in. And so I hired a consultant to help me through the process and especially through the design and building and with equipment. I knew nothing about coffee machines, grinder. Now I know quite a bit about all this stuff. I knew nothing about it. But I would say before we were building out and when we were just designing, there were a few decisions I made that this person was like, you're crazy. Um, you should not do that. Um, uh, all the way from starting out with the location that I had chosen is sort of off the beaten path. There's no street. Uh, if you've been, it's, it's hidden. You, it's, it's actually hard to find. And it's in a part of Santa Monica where parking is really scarce. So not only is it hard to find, it's hard to get a parking spot to get there. Now, things have changed after the pandemic a little bit with the parking, uh, but it's still hard to find. But at the time, that was a point of difference for me. And for the target market that I really wanted to speak to, it was actually more interesting to have it be a, a speakeasy of coffee. Hmm. Because I really, at the time, was not interested in some, uh, somebody just walking down the street. I was interested in... Uh, people that worked in the warehouse buildings that were converted to beautiful offices and things on about on my four blocks around me, and I purposely underbranded it. I don't. There was not a Good Boy Bob sign anywhere to be found. I think it, the first thing I had this artist paint on the window, just the hours, which we had the, in gold leaf and this beautiful um, uh, painter do it. But I so. It was that decision and a bunch of other decisions and the rare coffees falls into that. I remember he was like, are you crazy? Do you know how much these coffees cost <laughs> and how hard it is to roast them? I know you you know roasting um, really, really well, but uh, if you were to pencil out what it takes to buy a very small amount of very expensive coffee, and first of all, I'm sure you know this and your audience knows this. You, we have to, we bid on this mm. stuff. It, it goes to market in these very small lots and we bid on this uh, coffee. The, the one thing I always tell people that um, I was amazed uh, right before we opened and we started talking about offering these rare coffees um, was all of this coffee, the, these very rare, exquisite coffees, we're going being sold to one city in the world. No, and when I say all of, I would say 95% of them were being sold to one city in the world. And it, someone told me that 
before I looked at the internet to see where it was being delivered to. And I would have guessed somewhere near Italy, maybe yeah, at right. the time. I would have guessed maybe China. I, I, I had no idea. And then I looked at the screen and it's all going to Tokyo. Mm -hmm. Right. And, but then when I, uh, it sunk in to me of like, I understand now. I have filmed in Tokyo many times. The culture there is one that embraces things. The other thing about getting a, a, a very rare pour over at one of our Good Way Bob uh, coffee shops, it takes four to five minutes to prepare. And most of the culture of, uh, of Americans getting coffee, they order it and they, you know, if it takes more than two minutes, they're upset or disappointed. I, I wouldn't say upset. It's like, come on, I, I've got to go. And I just think the culture in Japan uh, and Japan in Tokyo, they they will pay for good things too. You know, a, a single cup of a very rare or a COE number one, it's expensive. And I, I will tell you this, even what we're charging for the cup, and it varies market price, it can be $25, $30 for one cup or 14, 15, eight sometimes. Um, no matter what we're charging for that one cup of coffee, we're losing money on that in the store. It's not making money. And it's because of all of the effort, not only the purchase price of it, but, and I know you know this, you're a roaster, you're teach roasting. What we have to do with every single little lot of coffee we get, and sometimes we are just fortunate enough to get 20 pounds or 50 pounds of that coffee is we have to sample roast that coffee first. You, you, you said awesome things here. And I was like, you are either allergic to money or you don't like money or you, you really <laughs> want to do this as kind of like, uh, like a hobby project. And, you know, you are absolutely right. Most of these coffees go to Asia and Saza, Japan is the most famous one who, who buys these coffees. And quotation mark, you are a weirdo because uh, you are only Caucasian who I know who is kind of go after this. And funny thing is that you mentioned Europe and United States. You know, as a European, I can vouch that we still think of coffees as commodity, even though we go like, oh, it's specialty, but we have kind of like a price point in our head that, oh, if it's over 20 bucks or let's say 30 bucks, that 12 ounces, that coffee is very, very expensive, which is not anymore, especially when you dive into your world, right, of coffees. Yeah. And I can see that Asia is going to change that. And it includes Asians community in United States. They're going to kind of show us that, hey, there are these interesting coffees and we are happy to pay. Are you going to do the same? And then, you know, some people are like, okay, you know, or some people were like, yeah, you know, I can see the value and I have to pay up. So I guess your uh, artistic audience is curious about these coffees, right? Well, <clears throat> And even let me just address when it. Uh, so let me finish what I was saying. So to prepare to roast these coffees, it takes a very skilled group of people to get the correct roast profile out of those coffees. And uh, as I'm sure you can imagine, you want to roast those um, coffees in a very light roast so you can really taste the flavor. As you know, as a roaster, the risk you run on the light roast if you go too right, light. It tastes horrible. It tastes like hay. <laughs> yeah, right. So it, 
so there's always the risk of you roasting an incredibly expensive batch of coffee and it, it, it not turning out right. But the other thing is, even before you roast it, you have to sample roast a few times. And it takes a very skilled couple of people to sample roast it, cup it, resample roast it, cup it, resample roast it, cup it. And it takes a long time for them to do this. And these people are highly paid. So... And what you're doing is you're just doing all that for 20 pounds of coffee to roast. So essentially, you've you've paid a lot of money just for the green coffee itself. Then you have invested a lot of time of, of, um, of very skilled people to get the roast perfect. Then you roast it. And so even, like I said, even at $10 for a single cup or 20 or 30 whatever it is, it, it's it's not making my it's recouping probably most of the some of the money that we put into it but what i've learned over the years because i, I my with my production company what we really do is is we work with brands and i'm talking about big brands and we help them on their marketing and we make commercials for them and edit them and, and things like that and um if you take some big brands, um, gosh, I'll pull any. You, we could talk about Apple here. I could talk about a car brand, which I love cars. I could talk about Porsche, you know, high-end or Mercedes or anything like that. A lot of these brands have a very sort of expensive expression of what they make. Okay. So whether it's an Apple computer that has a monitor that's beautiful, I mean, a big one that's beautiful with a big tower, I think, uh, they, you know, next to it, and a beautiful keyboard, um, and it sells, I don't know, the whole setup sells for 10000 or $15,000. Apple sells very few of those, and Apple makes a very small margin on those. They make the bulk of their money off the little phone I'm looking into now. And the least expensive laptop, that's where their big margins are. Car automotive brands like Porsche and Mercedes always have what they would call limited edition kind of supercar. That um, there's a Porsche that you can buy now that's probably a million and a half dollars and they make 500 of them. And these cars, when you talk to Porsche, they lose money on these cars. And so... I guess what I'm trying to tell you in the audience, I don't, I look at offering our very rare coffees as part of our marketing budget. And what that, what that gets for me, and it's why we're on this podcast, is that it attracts people into our coffee shop, bloggers that write about us. Um, uh, the founder of Blue Bottle used to be in LA come in. Um, uh, one of the founders of Intelligentsia was, you know, a regular. Um, but so in a way, I'm able to um, account for that and rationalize that as marketing because I look at like that word of mouth and those people do better marketing than I could uh, buying a banner ad on Google. Yes, I love what you just said. I'm going to frame this uh, for my students too, because uh, I call these coffees PR coffees. And anytime 
uh, we have the business class. I try to convince my students to play with those. And they're like, are you crazy? Who's going to pay $80 uh, per cup? I was like, well, how do you know that they say it's for $80 per cup? Every media was writing about it. I'm like, right? So yeah. there you go. Everybody talks about it. Everybody writes about it because it's shocking. Yeah. It's interesting. Is it really worth these questions? People got curious. People come down and check it out, right? Uh, here, is my, here is my question about that. So you told me that how hard is it to make money with these coffees, but yeah. in all uh, together, do you think it's worth doing so you can actually, your other coffees can make money as that your cafes can make money? Yeah. I, uh, okay. So an interesting thing happened during the pandemic. Just be, before the pandemic, we didn't really offer... Um, coffee online and the pandemic hit. And what I did is to keep all of our employees at Good Boy Bob. And at the time we had just one coffee shop. Then we, I um, had signed two other leases for the next two, but we really couldn't build for a while. It, it held all that stuff up. But when the pandemic hit, we had a lot of regulars, people that were very loyal to the Santa Monica uh, shop that were emailing and texting and writing us and saying, I'm stuck at home. Can you bring a bag of your beans to my house and deliver to my house? And, and I have to um, give a lot of credit to our baristas at the time and everyone that worked there at the time. And, and it was a crazy time around the world and it was a way for them to still make money, but you know, it, it was difficult, but so they, um, we ended up, uh, delivering coffee to a lot of people's homes uh, in the greater Los Angeles area. And what it sort of taught me, and that led to one thing, led to another. And so um, when you're talking about our rare coffees now, is we have a pretty good, robust business. And I do think there is uh, a day pretty soon where specifically the rare coffees will start making money. And so we ship our rare coffees now all over the world, you know, to Dubai and Tokyo, uh, Europe. Um, a lot of these people never get to taste these coffees. Um, so that has sort of changed and opened up um, for us. I, when I first did it, when I first opened and, and to be very honest with you and our audience, I didn't, I have other businesses that put food on my table. So it didn't have the criteria of a lot of businesses where it has to make this much margin so I can pay my rent and put my kids to school and things like that. It was sort of, um, it was an art project for me that, that I was invited. It was like hosting a party for people on my block that I, I have had a business on that particular block for over 25 years. I know most of the other business owners there are other filmmakers and editors and composers and things like that. And it was a place to go, come on over and let's hang out. Let's talk about your project. And here's what I'm working on, exchange ideas. And I, it didn't have the burden of me going, oh my gosh, at the end of the month, I have to have this much money to pay my rent and do these things. So what I was able to do was make decisions like this. The other thing I was able to do was pay the, the baristas and people that work there just a little bit more. Um, I was, I'm able to, I had 
uh, it's very much of a living room setting in there. It has cloth furniture and rugs and things like that. So that stuff has to be clean because it's not hard. You know, I was able to, then we expanded into baked goods program. I was able to hire a baker that was exquisite. <laughs> and then we hired a chef and she, I mean, it's, it's quite frankly, a, the baker and the chef, we have no right as a coffee shop to have, you know. Um, uh, so we offer at most of our, um, we offer a small amount of food, but it's all farmer's market and local food and things like that. So I was able to have an expression of the coffee shop that was really for friends. I didn't want it to necessarily lose money, but I didn't have the burden of having to support myself and my family. I think that a lot of people listening to this podcast now will be super jealous because I think everybody's dream is just do what they want without all these constraints. And, you know, I think uh, that on the end of the, end of the day, this works very well. I mean, unless you have super crazy ideas, which you partly had, but they were smart, you know, so I, I liked where you went. I, when I started my uh, European brand, Green Plantation, we did something similar. And for me, it was more about standing out. I hate to be in a crowd. Uh, I was always a minority. I'm Hungarian from Slovakia. You know, I was always in that. And I, and I enjoy that because being in a minority is also people are more interested in you. People are uh, kind of like seeking. So I was like, when I start a brand, I want to be different. I want to do everything different. And some things were really stupid. Looking like I did the same thing. Like we didn't have a logo for the first three years. I decided to not have a logo because I was like, we're celebrating the farmers. Why should I have a logo? Well, maybe not the smartest decision, but hey, I'm still proud of that because it's, it was kind of fun, right? And it actually worked out. We, we did very well. And, you know, listeners, maybe some know, some don't, that I sold the company in the beginning of the year. It was a great sale. I, I'm still a, like a consulting partner there. But after 12 years, you kind of like burn out, right? So uh, maybe not everybody, but for us, it was like, we're done. Now somebody else takes it over. Uh, also, I, I think that, you know, the fact that you pay fair is really awesome. I think that's, that's really cool. I know one person who uh, works for you. And I know that that person is like a top in a coffee industry, like the top dog. Uh, it's Marcus Young. He's my predecessor here at Boot, but also he's my mentor and a buddy. So how, first of all, like, do you, are you involved in coffee selection or deciding about the rose profiles or you just hire the best people around you? And if you do, how do you find them? Um, so to answer your question, I'm not involved in the rose profiles or the coffee selection. It's, uh, in the, um, I am involved in the coffee selection in just communicating to Marcus and our team that I want to offer something that we're proud of and something that's extraordinary. And we, most of this podcast, we're talking about our coffees at our highest level, but we also have just single origin coffees and we have a, a, a couple of blends that we're really, really proud of also. And, um, what I've done, and I've learned this in my other businesses, I hire the very best people I can afford, quite quite frankly, and I treat them very well. That if that's that's the secret as your company grows, are the people um, that surround you and help you and work really hard. 
um, uh, to make this dream of mine, my vision, come true. Um, there's a lot of disciplines in many of the businesses I own that I, as I said at the beginning, I went to college as an artist. And even in my production company, um, I have executive producers and managing directors and CFOs that know numbers, and I hire the very best I can, can and I listen. You know, I really take some time, and I ask a lot of questions. And at the end of that, then, I will make decisions with my creativity mix in there. And sometimes I know that those decisions are have some risk involved, but at least I feel like I've done the research and I know what the risk is. Um, because I do believe, and this is true of even someone opening a coffee shop, don't just open a coffee shop that looks like everyone else's and tastes like everyone else's and you treat people like everybody else. Just like you said with your coffee shop, you do, it, it should be an expression of yourself, of how you like to treat people, the music that you like, the cutlery that you like, the aesthetic that you like, and be different. And, um, you know, I, I told you at the beginning that I made a, <clears throat> a bunch of decisions that I think um, typical coffee business people would say, oh my gosh, you're crazy. All the way from offering a couple of excellence winners to um, opening and having our shop in a place where it's hard to find. <laughs> um, I mean, you literally have to walk down an alley and there's a little gate that you go through the, with no signage <laughs> and you come around there and, and there's a bunch of people uh, sitting in a parking lot and inside enjoying music and great coffee. Um, uh, but one of the other decisions that I made as we grow and had two locations and three that is sort of against the grain is I didn't want any two of our uh, brick and mortar coffee shops to be the same, you know, um, and I know this from marketing and we work with a lot of big brands, um, typically, you know, Starbucks, which is hugely successful. And by the way, I admire a lot of things about Starbucks. I can't stand their coffee, but I think it's an incredible brand that they've built and, um, and a lot of things they've done are interesting. And lately, I, but one of the things they did that helped them do that is they <clears throat> they basically created a store and duplicated it around the world in hundreds of thousands of locations. It's always a green sign. It's all it's very similar architecture and seating and things like that. And other brand McDonald's has said, I mean other brands, especially food brands, have done this. And I decided to take a chance and do something different. And I our first coffee shop is like a speakeasy. It's hard to find. The second one in Culver City, we're part of a food hall. And so we're one of a bunch of other um, uh, brands in there. There's an oyster person across the, the um, aisle away from us. There's a, a sausage place. And so what was really important to me, and it came out of the ethos of the first one, was... I ended up spending a lot of time in that five or six blocks where we were going to open, just hanging out there, getting to know the community, 
going to movies there, walking the sidewalks, because to me, what is important is knowing your community. And so instead of coming in as Good Boy Bob or as Starbucks and going, we're Starbucks, we're going to put up our green sign and this and this, this. I want to come in the community and go, let me understand you. Let me understand what everyone in this little community might enjoy and might like. Let me understand the aesthetic that might be interesting for this community. So there are a few things that are the same in every coffee shop up till now. We have this um, kind of muted flat white La Marizocco machine. We have this interesting clock that an artist did. Um, uh, and there's one in the Museum of Modern Art in New York that is the same in all three. But other than that, each expression is totally different. The third one in Manhattan Beach, which is my hometown, and it's right here on the beach. It's a, it's a kind of grab and go. There's no seating at all. You walk in, there's a counter. You grab your coffee and you go spend time at the beach. But it, in my mind, it's perfect for that community. So, um, I, you know, I do, I feel like I research a lot. I know that the, I know what the, um, what the benefit is to having branding that's all the same, you know, that, that someone that loves Starbucks could be on a business trip in Spain and they see that green logo in an airport and go, okay, I know what I'm going to get. So I, I know the benefits of that, but I, my vision for Good Boy Bob is different. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you, everything what you said, but you are different. Uh, and my question, next question is about your customers. Like, first of all, you, you basically decide to hide. So how did you find your first customers, either as a cafe or online, right? The mm -hmm. second kind of like question which ties to that, I mean, who are your customers? Who are the people who are buying these expensive coffees? So let me, so I guess I'll just speak about the Santa Monica one that's been open for six years for now. Uh, and I feel like I know the customers at each location. I know some of them personally, but I know basically who they are. So Santa Monica specifically, it's a group of um, people in, in creative industries. And, and for anyone that wants to open a coffee shop, the thing you really have to remember, if you look at your revenue at the end of each month or at the end of every year, probably somewhere between 80 and 90% of your revenue is from the person that comes in there every day. Mm -hmm. This is your bread and butter. The person that's in from out of town that sees it down the street and decides to go by, that's going to be a tiny, tiny part of your revenue when you look at the whole year or even break it down into a month. It's the person, the people you need to treat like gold, which we would do anyway, um, are the people that are there every day or three times a week. <clears throat> so um, so what's important to remember, and, and you're um, leading to this, it, when you ask me who are our customers, and so in Santa Monica, our customers are probably, and when I'm saying our customers, it's our regular customers, um, it started out as people that it was a convenience for them and that they li they liked good coffee. So I would say it was a radius of probably two blocks that it started out as. And then what happens with a business like this is word spreads. 
and it spreads organically. Somebody says, oh my gosh, I have this cup of Good Boy Bob coffee, and not even a rare coffee, a rare pour-over, just someone handed them, it could be a bit, could be a latte. And it was smooth and delicious. And But it wasn't just the latte they liked. They liked the music. They liked the vibe. They liked the art on the wall. They liked the whole experience of that. And so that, that person turned into a regular, but that person was sort of our marketing tool to tell three other people. And then it expands, expands, expands out. We now have some of our regulars that on their way to work, they stop by in the morning and we see a big bump you know, in the morning, we see um, a bump in the afternoon from commuters and regulars that will stop by um, for our coffee. On the weekends, people travel quite far um, to come in almost every weekend to spend time there, um, get a good cup of coffee, have a nice little breakfast, a light breakfast. So um, I guess I would describe our customer on the brick and mortar portion of our business as somebody that likes good coffee. And I would say for the, the person that comes in there during the week, most of the days during the week, they probably work in a radius. It's expanded, I would say a 10 block radius now uh, around us. Uh, or what they do is it their um, path to travel from their residence to their office. We are somewhere on that path or it's a slight deviation from that path. I think that the listeners will kind of like uh, abandon me and vanish me if I will not ask that, do you have any celebs uh, in, in your cafe coming like regulars? Yeah, I, I don't, there's a few that are coming regularly that I'm not gonna talk about because I, they like to be discreet. Um, uh, okay. Um, let me think about it. So I remember staying in line one day and, um, Neil Young was, a is, would come in there. There's a recording studio near us on our block and he was in there for weeks on end. And I remember standing behind somebody and there's also in Santa Monica, there, there's a homeless issue that's around there and there. For years, there was a homeless person living kind of in the back alley, and we and our baristas used to go out there and like give them a burrito and you know food or whatever. And I was standing behind somebody in in line uh, to get a coffee, and I overheard this couple saying, "And Neil Young was on the couch having a coffee and saying, oh, that's so nice they invited a homeless person into the coffee shop.'" Um, so. Uh, uh, um trying to think um two of the red hot chili peppers are in there a lot um flea and anthony um david chang was in there a lot uh, the chef uh david chang um gosh i could go on the, um trying to think there was a musician woman that actually shot a video in there uh um kate hudson is there all the time because she has a business down the block a bunch of people. And I think there are several reasons for this. Number one is that the coffee shop is hidden and it's not on a busy corner and there's not a lot of strangers. And most of these people come in and they um, don't get bothered. You know, they, um, they don't ask to have a selfie taken with them. It's just very natural and interesting. And then 
I would say there's a lot of other very creative people that um, like JJ Abrams um, that are sort of not as front facing as a celebrity, but um, you know, there are uh, people like that. Uh, Bob Richardson, who's a friend of mine, who's a cinematographer um, and he shoots Quentin Tarantino's film. He's in there when he's uh, in LA. Um, but I think the fact that it is sort of the speakeasy is, and they can come in and relax and not be bothered. I think that a lot of those people, um, especially a lot of the musicians seem to really like great coffee. That's surprising. Um, and I don't think they're like you or Marcus on that level, but I think they have, and I would put myself in this category. I, when Marcus cups coffee, I'm like amazed that he can, um, he can sit with other people, Raul and other people we have on our team and they write down on the, these notes and they turn over their notes and that they, they have four or five descriptors, you know, raspberries, cotton candy, this, that, and, and they're similar. And I have to be honest, I can never do that. Well, Eric, they, come on. I mean, you're doing movies, right? So I cannot do that. I'm amazed when any time a good movie comes out and I cannot do that. So, you know, let's do our job and you do your job. So that's cool. Yes, but I, I am in awe of our team, you know, that um, can do that. What I can do, I feel like I have enough of a developed palette to basically um, discern whether it, it, in my mind, it's good coffee. And how I would define good coffee is it's smooth. It's not bitter. There's not a harshness to it. It, you know, I know Marcus always gets upset with him and I say, oh, it's kind of sweet. And he's like, well... You know, uh, but, you know, just a, a black um, pour over, you know, where it, it just has a really good taste and flavor. To Eric, it, so. I want you to, if you ever have a time and you are in San Francisco, I want you to come over, especially if you have a sensory class. I'm more than happy to kind of like play with some coffees with you and you will get it what Marcus is talking about. You know, it's all about training and I understand that you don't want to be what Marcus is or what we do, and that's cool. But the, like we have this uh, sensory foundation, which is an amazing class for anybody, chefs, or it can be just a coffee connoisseur. And kind of like with holding hands, we guide you through how to think about it. And people go away like, oh, now I can taste wine. Now I can taste anything else, which is pretty cool. But my last question yeah. about this whole topic of who drinks your coffee is like, what do you think? I would love that. Where is this heading? Because we, we talk that, you know, the Asian cultures are the one who really embracing this. But who do you think is next? Who is going to embrace this coffee? <clears throat> well, this, this is interesting. I put a lot of thought in this in the last couple of years. I, I, what a big goal of ours at Good Boy Bob now is to share our coffees. And, and I don't mean the very expensive coffees. I mean, even just a good blend is to share a good coffee that was grown um, by good people um, and to share it with people that have never experienced that. And I think more specifically, I'm talking about the type of person that doesn't live because to really experience good coffee most of these good coffee shops are um, in urban, densely urban areas, you know, cities like Los Angeles and San Francisco, New York kind of thing. The person that 
you know, lives on a farm in Iowa or the person that, um, I don't know, lives in northern Canada, <laughs> um, the person that lives in rural part of even Italy <laughs> doesn't really get to experience this. So I think the thing that is really interesting for me to focus on right now is how can we... Um, how can we get a bag of coffee in their hands to try at home? And um, it's, I think it's going to be, it's like a fun challenge, I think, for all of us at Good Boy Bob. And um, But I will tell you this, I did as um, one of the things that I do is I, my father was into auto racing and I love auto racing. And I go to races across the country. Most of these racetracks are in sort of these rural areas. There's a racetrack in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, in the middle of the, the woods in this little one-stoplight town. And I went to that race there, and I um, uh, I race in a, a race series, the Trans Am race series there, and we when we traveled there. And um, a lot of spectators show up for the races. There are over 100,000 people that show up there, and most of them are from rural areas um, around Wisconsin, Minnesota, and, and things like that. And what I started doing, this was probably three years ago, is I brought out a La Marizocco Mini, mm -hmm. which is sort of a high-end home machine. Um, we flew a, a barista out, some good grinders and things like that. And we offered coffee. So these people would walk up to the barista and say, gosh, I'd like some coffee. The barista would say, what would you like? We have, um, we didn't offer a pour over at the racetrack, but we offered, um, lattes, espresso, flat white, you know, um, cappuccino. And we had, um, brewed coffee also. And a lot of the people said, I have never, what is a latte? What you know, I've heard of it in from movies, TV shows, read about it, but I've never, I don't even know what is in a latte. <laughs> so I'm just trying to calibrate you on, um, and this is like most of America, right? You know, we're on this podcast and talking about rare coffees and people like Marcus and things like this. This, this is a very rare, small group of people right here. Most of the people in the world don't forget about the rare COEs, don't even get to really taste what you and I would consider just a good cup of coffee, brewed coffee. And so I got to, um, and I ended up talking to a lot of those people and meeting a lot of the people. Um, I would talk to them about, you know, well, how do you make your coffee at home? And they'd say things like, well, I, you know, and what kind of, how do you brew it? And they would say things like, oh, I bought a Mr. Coffee thing at Target and I buy my coffee at Walmart, you know, uh, that I put in it. And, um, and the amazing thing that happened is we would hand them a cup because nine times out of 10, they just wanted it at the end of the day, they were curious about what a latte was, but they didn't want it. They were just curious about it. They just wanted a cup of, of black coffee, drip coffee. And, we would hand them that coffee, and I remember there was there, there was a couple, and they had some kids, and this was in Wisconsin, 
And the woman sipped the coffee and I was standing there and she said, oh my gosh, is this, did you put anything in this coffee? <laughs> and I said, no, that's just, that is, we have a brewer in the, the truck here. It's just drip coffee. Um, she said, I don't, I, I don't believe this is just coffee and water. <laughs> and I, so I invited her into the truck. I took her in and I showed her the brewer. I pulled out the basket. I said, there's the wet. <laughs> I will pour out that coffee. I'll pour you a new one out of this urine that's in here. That's all this is, is water and coffee. And she said, I can't believe like how smooth and it's not a kick in the stomach. And so we had a conversation about that, but I think that, so I guess my next dream is to then share our coffee with people like that, that have never had a, had a chance to experience something like that. And it's going to, I really, you know, at Good Boy Bob, we built up a nice little team to try to conquer, you know, this task. It's an entirely different task than opening up a, a really nice artisan coffee shop in Santa Monica. But that is sort of the, the task ahead is like, how can we spread the word of these people? How can we convince these people? How can we... Um, let them sit down and enjoy whether I keep saying whether they live in a on a farm in Iowa and it's a or it's a a single mom in in Florida that doesn't even know that good coffee exists and for them to sit down and so I think that the the joy for all of us to to show something like that it's you know i love food too i wouldn't really call myself a foodie but it's it's when you go to a really really interesting restaurant and whether it's street food that's just spectacular like anthony bourdain would go to or it's a, a michelin star restaurant it's like that joy it's like one of the great joys in life is are your taste buds and certainly now now that i drink coffee religiously um Coffee is a is a, a huge part of life in my mind, and and a simple pleasure. And yeah, so you're getting, going again against the grain, right? Against the grain. Once again, Eric is going against the grain. It is. You're absolutely right. I'm going against the grain. Yeah. And um, I I think to me that is interesting. And I have to just like I've done with the brick and mortar. It's like okay, how. How can we do this in the right way, you know, um, where it's still to our caliber of coffee and it's still good. And, but I really, I remember so distinctly going to those races, just like that woman with the family and she drank that coffee and looked at me with a serious look and said, I don't believe this is just coffee. You had to put some sweetener in here or something. Now you just said it. You said you don't understand how coffee is sweet. There you go. It is sweet yeah. because some coffees are inherently a little bit more sweet. And, you know, we are wired as humans seek the sweetness. So our perception, maybe it's in our lizard brain, but it comes out and you go like, oh, this coffee is different. It's yummier, right? Yeah, it, that's it. And what what is really interesting to me, because at our coffee shops, we serve some of the what critics would, would say arguably, is some of the best coffees in the world. These are COE number ones. These are coffees that 
um, very, very astute critics around the world have judged to be some of the best, most exquisite coffees in the world. And we serve those in our coffee shops. When we serve those to someone like yourself, what I would say is like a, a coffee connoisseur, it puts a smile on their face and they're, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so nice. And it's so nice for me. So that's at the end of the day, what I love. But what I was going to say is it, if I were to judge that smile and I'm a director and I look at actors performing, your smile would go from a, I don't know, a five smile to an eight. It would put a smile on your face, but it, but it wouldn't blow you away. What happened for me at those races when that, it could be a, like I say, a single mom that I met in Florida at, at Daytona, <laughs> you know, taste our coffee. It blew her away. It blew her mind. You know, she grew up going just like I did when I was in college going, okay, this is how coffee is supposed to taste. It's supposed to kick you in the stomach. That's just how that is. It's like, um, I always use this analogy to friends when I was growing up surfing in Southern California and we would take trips in high school down to Mexico and we, after surfing, we'd go to a bar and do tequila shots. And it would, because we couldn't afford any, anything good. It was the worst tequila possible. And it, it, so I grew up thinking, well, that's just how tequila tastes. That's just how it is. Then after I went to college, I got a job in San Francisco in an advertising agency and an older art director took me to a bar, Bix, in San Francisco. It was a martini bar, but I, he said, hey, let's do a tequila shot. And he bought me a tequila shot. And I drank and I was like, wow, that was so smooth. Like, was that tequila? <laughs> it was so smooth. And so I think that there's a lot of people um, around the world that just think bad coffee is, that's just, that's how all yeah, coffee yeah. is. It All coffee is bitter, tart, has a bad, roasty aftertaste, and that's just how it is. And the only way, if they can't stomach that, the only way they have to deal with it is, is by adding something to it. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much. I mean, this is, I saw that this really came from the heart and how passionate you are about the, well, the rural America or people did not discover the coffee yet. And it's something which people, I agree, neglect because that's a hard, hard task to convince them to drink this coffee, right? Yeah. So you again, making your life complicated, but that's, that's why we like you, right? That's why, that's why Good Boy Bob is such a great brand. So I know you are limited with time and I used to ask this question, my previous, um, guest, but I didn't ask it for a while. And I was like, let, let me do this because people miss it. Yeah. If I would give you today $10,000 and you, let's say you don't have any fortune, yes. what kind of coffee business would you start or how would you start to sell the coffee? So interesting you say this. I knew this question was coming. So I put a little thought into this and I, I awesome. Um, and it's like, I do most, I try to prepare myself, but I can't. And it really, I would say for the first couple hours, it stumped me. I was at first, I was going to say, don't get into the coffee business with only $10,000. Stop. Don't do it. In business, there's that term. You have to have enough runway to get that business up and off the ground. You have to have a little bit of money in reserve because you are going to hit stumbling blocks. And the other thing is you're going to have opportunities that will arise for your business 
that you didn't foresee. And some of those opportunities, it will take an investment to make the best out of those. So at first I was going to say, okay, if you have $10,000, do not do this. Take that $10,000 and put it into a savings account, let it multiply. But I think I have an interesting answer if you really want to do this. What my answer would be is get a coffee cart. But, and as you listen to this podcast and you're starting to find out about me, the most important thing about that coffee cart is you need to scout around of where you're going to operate that coffee cart. And what I would say, some of the criteria for where you decide to operate that coffee cart is you know that community of people and that there's not another uh, similar coffee being offered around where you're going to have that cart. So I'll give you an example. If you are a person that likes to go to swap meets on Sundays and you've been doing that every Sunday for 10 years and you know all the people there, you know what they like, what they don't like, and there isn't a good cup of, there's coffee being offered at the swap meet, but it's horrible, is that you go, okay, I'm going to offer a great coffee here. I know this crowd. That's the most important thing. I know this group, this community here. I know how to greet them, how to talk to them. I know what kind of cup they'll like and things like that, that you become one with the community. So it could be at a swap meet. It could be at, I don't know, it could be at a surfing event. It could be on a corner in your town, but make sure you know the town and that you know the people. But I think with $10,000, you have a shot of doing it. The other thing I think you'll find out is, do I like this business? So you have a very inexpensive kind of entry point. You have not signed a lease. You have not invested in a ton of uh, equipment. You have not hired anyone. You don't, you're, and you can also kind of throttle it and go, hey, I'm just going to do this coffee cart on just the weekends. So you're not committing your life to it yet. You're just finding out, do I like this business? Do I like greeting people and, and figuring out what's going on? Do I like making the coffee? And then I think once you do that, and is it successful? Then the key is, if you do like that and you want to open a brick-and-mortar store, now you have a little bit of a reputation. Experience, too. And experience on it, too. And now you can transfer a bunch of that knowledge to the brick and mortar store, which now you, it'll be a commitment. You have a lease. You're going to have to do a build out. Uh, you know, it's going to be a commitment, but at least you found out some things and you have a little bit of a following if you've done your cart near where you're going to open the brick and mortar place. Awesome. Eric, I would be so disappointed when you stopped there that I do not recommend that because you as an artist and a creative person, I was expecting something like this. <laughs> so I'm so happy that you went ahead and kind of told it. And, you know, I give you a background of this question. It's not just not pulling it out of my bottom. It's actually how much money we spent starting Green Plantation. It was 8,000 euros. Mm. And I know it's a different world. So like is much cheaper than starting a business in LA, but it's, and that's why it's a tough question because it, you have to think about it. And some guests bail. Yeah, sure. Like, you know, we have the show hot ones when some people kind of like suffer through it or bail, but you didn't bail. So that's really cool. 
Uh, and, and I agree that maybe the coffee cart is the easiest. And I like how you described what you, what to, not only that, oh, start a coffee cart, but what would you do with a coffee cart, which is like really awesome. All right, so I tortured you here for almost an hour, uh, or actually over an hour. It's only fair that I give you a chance. Do you want to ask me a question? Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know this was coming. Um, so I know that you've known Marcus for a long time. So how, okay, let me take it back. How did you get into coffee? Like why, I'm always so interested because I have so many baristas that work for me that just love coffee and i'm always so curious i our baristas at our shops are i find them so interesting and and their path of how they got into coffee so tell me about your path what was it that got you into coffee oh i'm so happy to ask this question we didn't i didn't expect this question but i always answer it on my courses because uh, that's how i introduce myself but i think you as a as a cinematographer, we love this. So I used to work for United Nations uh, in Kosovo and Bosnia-Herzegovina. I'm a original political scientist. I studied political science, international relations. And I was very lucky, very early in my career. I was 25, I got into this amazing job. And in my, in my office in Kosovo, uh, we had the Gevalia um, as the office coffee. Gevalia is something like Folgers of United States, right? It's a, I think, Swedish brand, mass brand. And I had an American colleague. She was my boss and she always criticized that coffee. She said, this is horrible. And at that time, I did not know anything about the United States. I just knew one thing. Americans will not criticize European coffee and European beer, which I was a big consumer of. So, and she said, look, Valerian, I'll bring you something and you will see it's better. So she went home for leave and she didn't forget. Uh, she brought me a bag of coffee and I tried it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so different. This is amazing. Uh, coffee was uh, Sumatra Lintong from Starbucks. And this is 2000, exactly, 1999, 2000. And two things happened. One, I realized that you can roast coffee different degrees because it was a dark roast. Gevalia is a very light roast. Second, you can have coffee from origin. All the coffees up to that point, I had like yellow blend, green blend, you know, gourmet blend, but I never had a coffee from origin. And this one said Sumatra. As a wine lover, I was like, oh, you can have coffee from origin. This is really, really cool. So I said, yeah, you win the bet. And since then, that woman is my wife, and I have two kids with her. <laughs> That's a great story. That's one of the better <laughs> stories I've heard. <laughs> right. I, <laughs> I usually sometimes drop something like hashtag me too, because she was my boss, but she really hates that joke. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, so it's, that's how I started when I came back to Europe. I asked my government, hey, guys, can you send me to something better like Paris or New York to the embassy. I don't want to do this job anymore because, you know, three years in a post-war zone, that kind of has a toll on you. And they said, uh, no, you can go to Iraq now. And I said, I don't want to. So I decided that I would start my own business and that's how I got into coffee. Wow. That's interesting. Time yeah, ago. yeah, that's really. And then how did you meet Marcus? So I started to, when I came to United States in 2010, and we decided to do, do this move because of multiple reasons. Uh, all my kids were born in Europe, but my son had a very hard time to pick up the language. 
uh, and he was already uh, kind of forgetting English. So we were like, okay, we have to do a decision. Also, my wife kind of like, she was like, I'm here in Europe for too long. Let's try the United States. I never planned to come here. But I was like, that's also good for me because I was doing coffee, but I was also doing side gigs and I had a main job and it was kind of wishy-washy. I didn't have, as we say, cojones, right, to just do it. So when I came to United States, I was like, well, this is the time. I cut off all these other things, other noise, and I can do one thing, that coffee. Mm. So I started to work here and I started to work with them boot on the online education. And as I was working you know, with Willem, Marco started to work for Willem when we met. And it was very interesting that, you know, we budded up very soon in a game. We became friends and uh, he's just awesome dude. So he, we have great stories to share. He's very interesting as a person. I, I'm a little bit like, I love psychology and I love, you know, like humans, like discovering what they do and how they live. Because for me, United States is like different, right? I grew up in a very different culture. Uh, my culture is very white. I mean, we just, you know, European, right? We don't have foreigners, they're nothing. So coming here and seeing all the like, you know, other cultures for me is fascinating, discovering their food, their, you know, habits, and also Americans, like white Americans have their own things going on. So he, I was very curious about him, he was very curious about me. So, you know, we just bought it up and just happened that I was already a friend with Devora, mm-hmm. who is now Marcus's wife. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, things align. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. All right, Eric, where can people find information about Good Boy Bob? Uh, go to our website, goodboybob.com. Um, or if you're in Los Angeles or greater Los Angeles areas, go to one of the shops. But really the website and also a, a good sources are Instagram. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us. I wish you all the best. And uh, uh, I'm looking forward to visit your cafe. And the invitation stands. So if you come into San Francisco, let's play with the sensory. Let's calibrate you. Yeah, I can see all the roasters and equipment behind you. I definitely enjoy that. All right. Have a good one. Okay. Bye. Thank you.